Why should I study the Bible? Why should I study the Bible? Can't I just come to church on Sunday? Can't I just come listen to somebody else tell me what it means? Why should I study it for myself? Can I listen to it on my phone? Can I read it every once in a while? Can I maybe take a look at it once a month or once a week when I'm at church? These are questions that we get a lot. And I want to answer those today. And the main one that I started with is the main one that I want to answer. Why should I study the Bible? And the quick answer to that is you should study the Bible because it's how we know God. God gave us his word for us to know him. God wants you to know him. And before we go any further, that should blow your mind because the God that we're talking about is the God that was there in the beginning who created all things, who spoke them into existence. He's the God who is sovereign over all. And he wants to know you. Come on. I mean, this is a big deal. He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. So he left you his word. Why should I study the Bible? Because it is the word of God and it's how I know him. My father-in-law was, was an eye doctor and he prided himself in his craft. If you knew, if you knew him, man, he was meticulous. He was detailed. And he loved what he did because every time somebody would come through his doors, they had a problem seeing. But when they walked out of his doors, they could see better. They could see more clearly. And I never really appreciated that at the time. But now every time I stand up on one of these platforms, I think about that. Because that's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to take the lenses that you're looking through and maybe reframe them or recalibrate them or adjust them just a little bit so that you can walk out of those doors seeing it a little more clearly. Because some of you, if you're like me, when I was growing up, I thought the Bible was just another book on the shelf. It just so happened that it was leather. And I thought that was kind of cool, but I didn't really know why my parents were freaking out about it. Just another book on the shelf. Just another book that my mom read all the time. And my dad read too. Don't, don't let me throw him under the bus. They both read the Bible. Amen. Amen. He's here. Amen. The Bible is not just another book on the shelf. And I want to help maybe reframe the way we see that today. So that's the first thing I want to tell you is that the Bible is the Word of God. If you're taking notes... There are just going to be two main points right here real quick, and then I'm going to uh, tell some stories, and then we'll be done. The Bible is the Word of God. That changes everything. It's not just another book. 2 Timothy 3.16, really quick. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Did you catch that? All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out. By God himself, 1 Peter 1, 23 and 24, not to steal Brian's thunder in a couple of weeks. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's weird. It's living and it's abiding. Look at verse 24. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of 
the grass, which is not very strong. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. Like, do you know how much this went through to get here in our hands today? We don't have time for a history lesson, but I'd love to tell you. Maybe we can have a conversation after this over like four cups of coffee, you know, over a four-week period. Do you know how much this went through to be in front of us today? Do you know what God went through to preserve his word? And the Bible says that the word of the Lord remains forever. We're talking about forever. We're not talking about something that you can produce in a microwave. We're not talking about those facts that you can't remember from the 10th grade test that you failed, that you crammed for the night before, right? These things that we try to do in our culture. We try to microwave everything. We try to instant stream everything. We try to YouTube it and learn it and do it. And then three weeks later, we don't understand why we didn't learn it and we can't remember it. Because not everything remains forever, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Second thing I want you to know is God gave us his word for relationship, not for religion. This is really important because I'm not trying to throw religion under the bus. But I am trying to prop up the fact that God's primary reason for giving us his word is because he wants to know you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. God gave us his word for relationship. It's always been about relationship, not requirement. I grew up thinking maybe some of you are like me, and it's not my parents' fault, and I hope it's not your parents' fault, but the truth is we kind of think that the Bible is just a required thing that Christians have to do. Like God's up there with a the gavel saying, if you didn't read today, you, you failed the test. But it's so much bigger than that because he wants to know you. It's not a test. It's not a requirement. It's life. It's the word of the Lord that remains forever, and he wants to know you. So this is much more about relationship than it is about requirement. God wants to know you, and he wants to be close to you, so he gave you his word. You don't get married and then move 2,000 miles away from her for the rest of your life. This doesn't make sense. When I got married, I bought, I, I bought this apartment. Maybe you've heard me tell this story. I'm, I'm not going to be long. I bought this apartment, tiny apartment, like 900 square feet, one bedroom, one bathroom, which is pretty important, you know, when you're first getting started. <sighs> okay. And so I bought this thing. It's tiny. And I'm thinking, I don't care because we're going to be we're just like this all day long, every day for the rest of our lives. We're getting married. We're excited about this. I don't care how big it is. I don't need it to be big. I just need a bed. I need a bathroom. I need a kitchen. I need a table. I need a couch. And I'm good, you know? It can be all right here if it has to be. And she didn't really like it, but she's going with me because I'm excited, right? And so I'm so excited that the night of our wedding, I'm like, babe, we got to stay at our apartment. She's like, yeah, but we could stay at a hotel, you know, it'd be nice, room service, whatever. I'm like, no, that costs money anyway, plus I want to be close to you, right? I want to start our life in the place that I've made for us, right? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm excited, and we've been spending months 
getting this apartment ready. And most of it I was trying to kind of keep as a surprise, which in hindsight was a really bad idea. And so I get there that night. I get there that night and I'm excited. We're in the thing. I'm helping her with her luggage because we're getting on the airplane the next day to go on our honeymoon. And she walks in there and she's like, hey, babe, like, where's the furniture? You know? I'm like, well, we got a table and a bed. So that's all we need right, right now, right? Like, we're good? She's like, okay, but where's the silverware? Because we got to eat the food that we brought from our wedding that we didn't get to eat because you wanted to talk to everybody, and now I'm trying to eat, but I don't have silverware in my apartment that you supposedly made for me, and we're... Da, da, da. So we didn't have silverware. We didn't even have toilet paper. <laughs> that's not a joke. We didn't have a towel for the next morning when we showered. And we didn't have window treatments, which turned out to be very important, okay, in an apartment in Atlanta with people walking by the window on your honeymoon. But I didn't care because I wanted to be close to her. You know what I'm saying? You want to be close. You want to be close. God wants you to be close. Close. I was so excited about starting our lives. I wanted to be as close as possible. So I want to ask a question that might sting a little bit, depending on where you're coming from. But how does that compare to your relationship with God today? How does that compare to your relationship with God today? Because I can promise you his desire to be close with you has not changed one bit. But if we're honest, our desire does change for him. Our desire to read his word does change because we stray from it, because we take time doing other things, because we spend time letting other things in our heart take the place of God. Think about the original design. God designed it in Genesis 3. Just one verse really quick. I just want to read this verse. It says in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Adam and Eve in the beginning, they could hear him walking. They walked with God. How relational is walking? I love how relational God started this originally with Adam and Eve. He was walking with them. They could hear him walking. He was close enough to hear somebody walk. You got to be close. He could, they could hear him walking. Studying the Bible is much more like walking than it is about reading. Sometimes, maybe that unlocks something for you. I don't know. For me, it helps. Because when I think about reading the Bible in terms of requirement and religion and duty, I think about it in terms of a book on the shelf that I need to read today. But it's really a lot more like walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. You don't believe me yet, so we're going to keep moving. It's not a sprint. It's a walk. I want to say that. Three or four times, maybe, depending on when you get it. And I'm judging by the looks on your face. It's not a sprint. It's a walk. You, you know, we, we talked about the microwave thing, but that's, that hits home for me because I want everything quick. 
I want everything now, but walking with God is not a sprint. I'm afraid that we're raising up a generation of people that only know how to sprint, that only know how to go to the big events and the summer camps and the mission trips and whatever else and get their shot in the arm. And then we wonder, we talk about this camp high. They didn't talk about the camp high in the early church. They didn't talk about the camp high in the Garden of Eden. They didn't talk about the high that you get on a Sunday and then by Friday you need another high. Because they walked with him. Because they were close with him. Because they listened to his word. If we're not careful, we're going to raise up a generation that only knows how to sprint. And the fruit is going to be big and it's going to be exciting and it's going to be amazing. But it's not going to last long because sprinters have to take a break. And when sprinters take a break, they stop. Think about the difference in a sprinter and a marathon runner for a second. When a marathon runner takes a break, if he or she gets tired in the middle of the race, they take a break by walking. And their breaks don't last very long. Because they're conditioned to keep moving forward. The sprinter is given everything he's got. And it's good. And it's seasonal. But it's got to stop. And when it stops, it stops. And most of the time, they're laid out on the track. And so if we're not careful, what I'm afraid of is we're going to... I've been working with, a, with the next generation a lot over the last year. Some of you know it. And I'm just telling you, we got a lot of sprinters over there and not a lot of walkers. And where does that begin? Begins with us. Begins with the parents. It begins with the leaders. It begins with the pastors. It begins with the small group leaders. It begins with how we walk. And the good news is God is ready to walk with you because he wants to know you. And some of you today, maybe you're bored with God because you're not able to move as fast and it's not as exciting as it was that first week. You know, like I wish I could feel what I felt that first week when I knew him. And some of you may be getting bored with this book because, first of all, you're treating it like a book. And second of all, you don't know how to walk. And so I wonder if sometimes when we get bored with knowing God, when we're not burning with passion for his word, it's because we never learned how to walk. And if you don't know how to walk, you can't go the distance. Isaiah 40, chapter, or chapter 40, verse 31 says, You will mount up on wings like eagles. You've heard this. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not grow faint. Really quick. Soar, wings like eagles. Run and walk. Soar, run, walk. Everybody loves to soar. Everybody cheers for the one that soars. Nobody likes to run, but people cheer for it, so they do it anyway. And nobody likes to walk. But they're all three in that piece of Scripture because I think it's 
a picture of our life. We can't soar all the time. We can't run all the time. We can't walk all the time because we get bored. But the truth is we got to have them all. And if you can't walk, you're never going to be able to run. And if you can't run, you're not going to be able to soar. But it starts with the walk. My daughter Everett, she's four. She just turned four in October. And she crawled for like two days. Then she started trying to walk. And she couldn't walk yet after two days, but she was trying. And she refused. I'm sure some of you can't imagine this type of stubbornness coming out of my daughter. But she, she refused to crawl. Like, I'm just going to sit here and try to pull up on this couch for four hours straight. I'm not going to take a nap. not going to do anything until I figure out how to walk. She was so excited to walk. I let, she showed me literally. She had no idea. This is unbelievable how God works. She had no idea I was going to talk about this today. Obviously, she's four. She brings me a picture of her when she's eight months old, standing up. I'm like, babe, how old was she there? I was about to tell the church that she was eight months old when she started walking, and they're not going to believe me, and I thought I was going to be exaggerating, but now I actually kind of believe it. How old was she there? She's like, she was probably eight months old. I'm like, amazing. My daughter's a prodigy. <laughs> but don't miss this. This is cool, man. So she starts, she starts trying to walk. And when she finally started walking, and I'm like, she's going to be an athlete. We're going to win a gold medal, you know, vicarious stuff happening in the moment. She's eight months, and she's walking. And then immediately she starts trying to run. And some of you know this, like when you're first starting to walk, your kids, and then they start to try to run, and they're just falling everywhere, you know. They can't run yet. Why can't you run yet? Because you don't know how to walk. And so she's trying to run, and she's trying to microwave the stages. Isn't that so much like the culture? She didn't want to crawl. She wanted to leave that behind. She wanted to walk as quick as she could. And then as soon as she could walk and she got her feet up under her, she was trying to run, right? She put those stages in the microwave. She turned on Netflix and wanted to instant stream that thing. You know what I'm saying? Four of you watch Netflix. Amazing. That's not what the study said that I read before I came up here. Says 99% of you watch Netflix. Okay, I'm just kidding. So she wants to microwave the stages. She's done crawling. I want to leave that behind. Now I'm walking for a day or two, and I'm, running, I'm trying to run now. I want to leave walking behind. The problem with that is you never really leave walking behind. You never leave walking behind. You always have to be able to walk. And you may not crawl again until you're in the military or until you're 90 because you know it comes back around the ark <laughs> swings back around you may not crawl again like that but you're definitely going to have to walk again and it's such a good picture of our spiritual life and our walk with God because he's teaching us how to walk every single day you never really leave the walk behind so we need to take a walk. We need to take a walk because it's a relationship. And relationships are better built on walks than sprints. Hello. Have, have any of you tried to have a really important conversation with somebody while sprinting? Like, is that a thing that you do? I enjoy long sprints on the beach with my significant other. It's one of my favorite hobbies, you know? No. Have you ever tried to sprint and talk on the phone with your AirPods in or whatever y'all wear? 
It doesn't work. You're out of breath. It's not relational. You can't do it. Walking is much more built for relationships than sprinting. You don't sprint together. Nobody has dated each other while sprinting. That's not the best dating advice, okay? You can't get to know each other. Maybe it is good dating advice, actually. You know, flee from temptation right now. That's good. Remind me of that, Brandon, so we can tell the students. You know, sprint, number one rule of dating, sprint together. You will never fall into temptation. Okay, walking, take a walk. Somebody tell somebody to take a walk right now. Tell, tell a neighbor or somebody across the way, can you do it, please? Come on, tell them, take a walk, take a walk. Nobody wants to do it. Four people did it. Amazing. Take a walk. Take a walk. Luke chapter 24. Let's take a walk to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. If you have your Bibles, great. Go to Luke. It's right after Matthew, Mark, and now Luke, right before John. Turn there. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on your screen. But if you don't have a Bible like you really don't, not that you don't know where it is, but you like don't have one, I want to encourage you to get one because we're about to dive into it together. Because it is the word of God. And this is the primary way that we get to know him. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 and 32. Really quick. This is Luke's first account of Jesus appearing after his resurrection. This is his first account of Jesus appearing after the resurrection. This wasn't actually the first time Jesus appeared, but it's the first time that Luke took account of it. Matthew, Mark, and John all wrote about the first time somebody saw Jesus was Mary Magdalene and the women at the tomb. But Luke decided for this to be the first account that he addressed, which I think is really cool, and that's what we're going to look at today. He does say that Mary Magdalene and the other women were at the tomb, and they came back and they told the good news that Jesus was not there anymore, but he doesn't paint that picture. He paints this picture for us, and I love it. Because these two disciples, rather anonymous disciples, they weren't the original disciples, they weren't a part of the apostles, they were a part of the bigger group of disciples that were there when they heard the words from the women who had just come back from the tomb saying, Jesus is alive. But these two did not believe the women. They didn't believe them. So they walked away and they started going home. And home for them was Emmaus, a little town that nobody really knows anything about. Seven miles away from Jerusalem, they're walking. I looked at, I tried to figure out if anybody could sprint seven miles so that I could be on theme, you know, with what I'm talking about. But I couldn't find anything, so whatever. They walked. Dirty road, dusty road, not a very worn path because not a lot of people walked to Emmaus. Emmaus was out there. And these two people are walking this road when they are encountered by Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus at first. Look at verse 13. I'm going to read these together, and then we're going to, we're going to talk about it a little bit. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Somebody say drew near, drew near. But their eyes were kept 
from recognizing him. They couldn't see him. Their eyes were kept from it. Whoo, that's a big deal. We might come back to that. Mm. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas. Everybody say Cleopas. Whose middle name is Cleopas? Anybody? Mike? How much cooler would I be if my middle name was Cleopas? You know? I love that. Literally, all we know about this guy is his middle name. I mean, his first name. Might have been his middle name. I don't know. All we know about this guy is his name, Cleopas. All right. So Cleopas answered him and he said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, this is Jesus, what things? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. I mean, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. They killed him. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. He's not here. He didn't do it like we planned. We didn't get to conquer Jerusalem. We didn't get to take it on with our chariots and whatever else we thought we were going to do. This is not what we planned for. This Jesus failed. Okay. I'm not pausing for dramatic effect. I just can't find where I'm. Okay. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. It's been three days. He's still not here. We don't know what to do. Moreover, some women of our company, they amazed us because they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. See what I'm talking about? We don't believe because we have not seen. And the people that we really trust went to see after the women told them, and they didn't see it either. So we don't believe it. And so this is what Jesus said, verse 25. I want you to really clue in on this one. And he said, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Oh, foolish ones. <laughs> he called him a fool. Literally, the word means dull, senseless. You fools. Some of you are like, that's not the Jesus that I know. You know, WWJD. Like he would love first, you know. He did love first because he went and found him on the road. But when it came time for truth to be told, 
He told it. You foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Notice that Jesus didn't blame the scripture. He didn't say, man, I feel you on that. The Old Testament is really hard to read. Like, I don't understand it either. It's a lot of crazy stuff in that. Probably not worth your time. I don't blame you. I would have skipped over all the lineage stuff too. Even though it pointed back to me and where I came from and how I'm the savior of the world. I mean, I get it. (laughs) He didn't blame the scripture. He didn't give them an out. He didn't blame the scripture because they had been complacent with their partial understanding of scripture. We need to take this seriously because partial understanding of truth is very, very dangerous. How do you think cults get started? And all these other religious movements that sort of have it, but then they sort of don't. And everything goes to you know where. We have to be careful with partial understanding of truth. We cannot get complacent with sort of knowing what the Bible says. We can't get complacent with sort of knowing the promises of God. How are we going to stand in front of temptation when the enemy's coming at us like he did Jesus if we don't know the promises of God to put on the table and say, I believe this word. I know this Jesus. We can't get complacent with the word. So then look at what Jesus does. (laughs) I love this. Was it necessary not that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? That's verse 26. And then look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus launches into an Old Testament survey on Jesus. And so I'm reading that and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, okay, we have Matthew, we have Mark, we have Luke, we have John. I wonder why we don't have the gospel according to Cleopas. Because that would have been an awesome read. And you know what? I wouldn't have had to go back through all the other books of the Old Testament to see where Jesus was because I would have a survey course right there in the book of Cleopas. And then I started to think, you know what? Maybe that's why Jesus didn't do that. Because he doesn't want us to settle for the study guide version from somebody else's revelation. God wants to know you. He doesn't want to just know Pastor Brian. He doesn't want to just know the elders and the leaders of this church. He doesn't want to just know Billy Graham. He doesn't want to just know all these religious leaders that go back all the way through history. He doesn't want to just know the apostles. He doesn't want to just know Paul. He wants to know you. And to do that, he needs you to take a walk with him. And he's saying, are you, are you slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said? From Genesis all the way through, the Bible is pointing to me. And if you just wouldn't cut corners, and if you just wouldn't skip some parts, and if you just wouldn't put it in the microwave and hope that somebody else's revelation would be enough for you, you might just have a relationship with me that can stand the test of time. You might just have the relationship that I designed you for. The gospel according to Cleopas, man, that would have been awesome. 
But God wants to walk with you. He doesn't want you to put somebody else's revelation in the microwave. And oh, by the way, I need a button on my microwave that says popcorn and everything else that's quick and easy so I don't have to remember the numbers. That's what we do. That's who we are. It's ingrained in us. Everything's on our phone now. We just reach it, touch it, have it. And God says, there's going to be a time and a season where I'm going to touch you and you're going to have it. There are going to be seasons of that. I can come like a mighty rushing wind and I can make you speak in the language of the person beside you so that they can understand. I can do that. There are all kinds of places in Scripture we could turn to to see that God does things just like that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of 10 years, at the end of the journey where everything fell apart and you don't understand what's going on, you got to know how to walk. God's the God of the right now, and God's the God that wants to walk with you. And a lot of times, the right now doesn't happen through the course of your journey with him unless you know how to walk. I want you to look at this. So they go, they go to the village. They invite him to come eat with them. He sits down with them. He breaks the bread, and, he, and, and their eyes are open when he breaks the bread. That's super symbolic. It's amazing because God sent Jesus to be broken for us. When he was broken, when his body was broken, same symbol as the bread being broken. And in that moment, the bread was broken and they saw Jesus. Amazing. Verse 32, look at this. So they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, While he talked to us on the sprint. No. While he talked to us on the road as we walked with him. And while he opened to us the scriptures. Did not our hearts burn? <laughs> this is such good news that your heart can Burn. Some of you have been questioning whether or not your heart is ever going to be able to burn the way that it burned in the beginning with God. There's good news today. Your heart can burn again. Did not our hearts burn within us? God wants you to walk with him. Your heart will burn when you walk with him. But you have to treat this more as a relationship and not a requirement because it's a walk. Your heart will burn within you when you start to treat the Bible as the word of God and not just another book. Your heart will burn within you when you walk with Jesus and listen to his words. Your heart will burn within you when your goal becomes relational and not religious. God pursues you unconditionally. So let me just debunk a quick myth that you might think this whole church thing is about. This isn't about you coming and stacking up your religion to a point where God is willing to have a relationship with you. No, he pursues you unconditionally. And the way that he does that is he comes alongside of you and he starts Walking so that you know it's him so that he's close enough for you to hear his feet when they touch the ground. He wants to walk beside you. The most relational thing 
possible. Don't forget this. Jesus met those two disciples on the road. They didn't choose to walk with Him. He came to them. He came to where they were. Going to anonymity, by the way. He came to the anonymous when they were going to the anonymous. And He met them right where they were. He didn't have to look it up on the GPS. He knew. He pursues you unconditionally. Jesus knows what you need. He knows where you are. And He knows how to meet you there. And He's not asking you to figure it out and get it right and believe and then come up the mountain to Jerusalem to Him. He'll meet you on your way out of town. Is this not good news? That He unconditionally pursues His own. And you may be saying, Jared, man, I'm a little bit too far gone for that. I appreciate the sentiment, but I don't even know if God knows my name anymore. I don't even know if he knows who I am. I'm feeling like nobody really knows who I am. And actually, some days when I really mess up, I wish nobody did know who I was or where I am. Notice that Jesus went on the anonymous road to meet with Anonymous people going to an anonymous town. But notice this, most importantly, that they were not anonymous to Jesus. That there was not a road that could take them far enough away because God unconditionally pursues His own. No matter how anonymous you think you are, it doesn't get more anonymous than a man that is literally unnamed. He could have been a woman. We don't know. It could have been Cleopas' wife, Cleopatra. We don't know. Maybe you can relate to Cleopas and the other disciple that was with Cleopas. Maybe you have a hard time relating to other apostles like John and Paul and all these people that did all these great things, right? The Apostle John, for example, the one who wrote the book of John, the one who wrote Revelation. He was the first of the tomb after the women came back and said that Jesus wasn't there. Remember that? He and Peter went running and John beat him. And John made sure to tell us that in his book, that he beat Peter. And he got there first and he saw that nothing was in the tomb except for the clothes that Jesus wore, folded up just perfect, right? So that Jesus could show that he's alive. And John saw that, and he believed immediately. He believed immediately. And some of you are listening to that, and we talk about that, and we preach about these stories, and it's like, yeah, I can't relate to that. These guys have so much faith, man. They've been walking with God for so long. I don't have that. I fall all the time. I I really, nobody even knows who I am. I can't relate to that. Maybe some of you are a little more like Cleopas than you are like John. That's good news. Because I believe that God put Cleopas in the story and the other guy or girl because he wanted to prove to you that there is no too anonymous for God. There is no too much unbelief For God to turn that switch on. 
And it's all in this word of God. Maybe you're here today and this is the first time where you feel that voice on you. You know, it's hard to explain. Maybe you don't hear it audibly, but you feel it on you. How do you feel a voice? I don't know, but it's real. I've done it. It's been there. I don't know. But you know when you know that you know in your knower. If that's the first time today, respond in faith to the God who saves. Respond to that voice. It is the Holy Spirit of God drawing you unto himself. Respond in faith. Repent and believe today. And start walking with him. He gave you his word. And he wants to take a walk. For maybe some of you, you, you're feeling like you've been following Jesus for a long time, but it's starting to feel a lot more like a book on a shelf that you're required to read. And you don't know how to get out of that rut. I don't have some magic formula today. I don't have a magic prayer. I don't have three, four, five magic words. I have something better than that. And so do you. And it's long, and it takes time, but so does a walk. Start walking. One step at a time. Start walking. It's time to take a walk. This week, uh, Chelsea's granddad, they call him Papa, he's 87 years old. Some of you may have seen him. Sometimes he sits right there when he comes in. We were in the hospital with him this week because he had a stroke on Thursday. Turned out to be not as bad as they thought, but originally it was pretty bad. And I was in the hospital room, and he's fighting for his life, and they're doing the test, trying to get his mind to work, you know. Some of you may have been there. And he's, he, he just can't communicate, and he's fighting, and you see it. You see him just fighting, but he can't do it. He just can't do it. And so they're, they're talking about what they need to do next and how they need to go about this. And I couldn't help but get this picture that Brian... Pastor Brian has told us about since Papa moved into their basement not too long ago. He said they walk down there all the time, any hour of the day. And he's at his table with his Bible out, studying the Word of God. 87 years old. Fighting for his life. 87 years old at his table with the word of God. How do I have unshakable faith, Jared? How do I have a faith that lasts in the tough times, in the difficult times, maybe even when I'm fighting for my life? How does that happen? It happens by walking with Jesus. Show me the man or the woman that has been walking with God every day for 50 years, and I will show you an unflappable, unshakable, not going to be messed with faith. And I want to be a church like that. I want to be a dad like that. So, Father God in heaven, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you preserved it all these years later. And that you've given us an opportunity 
to walk with you. And God, I pray right now that for whoever's in these seats that are hearing your voice, that are hearing your word calling out to them, I pray that they would respond. However you're calling them to respond, I pray that they would respond. And that you would meet them right where they are on the road to Emmaus. And that you would show them everything from your scripture about yourself. And that they would walk out of here never the same again. God, I pray that we would be a church founded on your word. We would be a church known by our devotion to you. Not because it's required, but because it's the greatest relationship that we could ever have. And because the word of the Lord lasts forever. I pray these things now, God, by the power of your spirit. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.